This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 154. We are recording on May 25th. I'm Sharifa Williams here as usual with Jen Northington. And today we're talking about some of the books we would recommend to our younger selves, which was, it's it's both fraught and fun to look back <laughs> yeah. on one's younger self, for me at least. Oh no, hundred percent. I and there could this this episode could be like three hours long, but we oh, you know yeah. I I didn't cheat really this time. I was like, let me like narrow it down. <laughs> I did too. I mean, I'm gonna give a shout out. Yes. I'll say it later, and it, maybe that could be considered cheating. No, but no. I had to do it. A hundred percent. Well, before we talk about news and then our picks. I want to tell you about a very special thing we are doing, which is first edition. So our co-founder over here at Book Riot, Jeff O'Neill, is exploring the wide bookish world through first edition, which is a podcast that features interviews, lists, rankings, retrospectives, recommendations, and so, so much more. It features people who know and love books. And on some of the recent episodes, there's been some hilarity (laughs) and some really cool stuff happening over there. So we all got to listen to our colleague, Erica, uh, talking about the time she tried to buy a new mom for a dollar. (laughs) That was one of the stories you'll get there. Um, there's also an interview with Khalid Hosseini for the 20th anniversary of Kite Runner, which is like super awesome that <sighs> I know. we scored an author of that caliber. Kudos to Jeff for that. Mm. And then also Rebecca and Jeff try to correctly determine the it book of the month, which is no small feat. So if that sounds up your alley, I know we're all book lovers here. If you want to learn more, hear more about books, subscribe to First Edition on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. All right, so let's hear from a sponsor, and then we'll talk about some news. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX is The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX is The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so I we're just going to dive into the awards corner, as I'm calling yeah. it here. There's like five <laughs> links to talk about. It's award season, y'all. It is. So let's start with a finalist list. The Ignite Awards, which are administered by Faya Lit Magazine, which if you have been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you should already know about. But in case you don't, it's a really amazing, <laughs> um, yeah, sci-fi and fantasy lit mag uh, dedicated to bringing BIPOC authors um, to our shelves. And it is the, the Ignite Award as you might imagine, uh, are to award uh, to recognize feats in storytelling and outstanding efforts towards inclusivity within the genre. So, like, love that, love that. Mm-hmm. And their finalist shortlist is full of favorites of mine. I have read one, two, three, three, four, four out of the five. Nominees for Best Novel. Um, wow. Babel by... I know, I was so proud of myself. That's great. <laughs> Babel by R.F. Kuang is on here. Kaikei by Vaishnavi Patel is here. Siren Queen by Nevo, which I loved. Spear Cuts Through Water by Simon Jimenez. And then the one I haven't read, Blood Trials by N.E. Davenport, which like obviously I now immediately need to put on my list. Um, and there are... I haven't read the young adult nominees but there's some familiar names we've got Anna Marie McLemore Tracy Dion Daniel Jose Older um lots of familiar names throughout I see Marco Shiro in best in middle grade alongside Daniel Clayton uh just so many authors Nevo is actually on here again for novella I mean there's just a ton of yeah there's so many people on here who are fantastic writers and then some folks who are new to me who I will immediately go about reading. <laughs> I love when the yeah. awards shortlist comes out. Same. I have not read as much of the – I've not read as many of the titles, but mm-hmm. I feel good about myself just knowing that I've read books by a lot of these authors. Mm-hmm. I'm not fully caught up on their catalogs. And sure. now I, I, I might need to go ahead and do that. I mean, you know, just add it to the list, right? Exactly. <laughs> As always. <laughs> As always. It's, that's the fun part. That's the fun part. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so we've got a link to the Ignite Awards finalists. And then we were talking about the Future Worlds Prize last time. Yes. And so the follow-up on that is that the final uh, the uh, winner has been selected um and it is Mahmoud El Said. So I this again this is an author totally new to me and I'm really excited to check out uh, all of the works that were shortlisted for this. Um and the winner here what the crew wants is set on a city ship uh, in space, which I mean, I love a generation ship story. Oh, and yeah. So I, I'm like immediately interested in this. Hopefully I can find a way to read it because I know these are in some cases unpublished works. So we'll see. We'll see. But anyway, very excited um, for those folks. Congratulations to them all. And then I'm just going to, like, keep us rolling oh, yeah. right along here. There's the so British, much. <laughs> there's so much. Oh, and my tab is malfunctioning. The British Book Award winners. Uh, the Yes, the 2023 British Book Awards have been 
awarded. I'm using the words, the word award so many times. Uh, <laughs> and included among the recipients were Babel by RF Guang, which is just going to like win On everything this year. Lists. It's just yep. going to, yeah, it's just going to win everything. Um, and then Tiger by SF Said, illustrated by Dave McKean, won in children's fiction, but is a genre uh, book. So that's fun. That's fun. I just think, I yeah, it seems clear to me that Babel is just going to clean up this year. And I need. I think I need, so. I, it's I, just like, one of know. those books. Yeah, exactly. There's like nothing wrong with that. There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, and then the winners of the Nebula Awards were also announced. Guess who won for novel? Can you guess? <laughs> it's Babel by RF Kwan. Like, what? Sweep. It's a sweep. Wild. It's wild. And then um, for award winner for novella, C.L. Polk won for Even Though I Knew the End. Always love to see Polk show up on these lists. And mm -hmm. then a bunch of authors who I have not read ever slash for a long time were on the Nebula list. So I have some, I have some serious catching up to do for the Nebulas. I do too. I mean, it's funny because when we were looking at the, I can't remember if it was a short list, um, mm. but I was like, oh, it seems like the one thing I have consumed is the movie. <laughs> That's all. <this laughs> list. It is everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes. One which I love. For outstanding dramatic presentation. But yeah, same. I haven't read. I don't think I've read any of these. The novella, uh, the C.L. Polk book, is also mm -hmm. on the Ignite Awards. Um, right, that's right. List, so that's another one that's coming up a lot. But mm -hmm. I also have to do some reading. I feel like you know I'm definitely going to put Babel at the top of the list now, just yes. because like it's one of those things. How can you? I need to know. I need to right. know. Exactly. <laughs> right. I'm sure we need to know. Hundred percent. <laughs> All right. So that was the awards corner. <laughs> that was awesome. Congratulations to everybody. And I'm so glad mm. I have more stuff to read forever and yes. ever. Well, I wanted to talk about this great bit of news we got from the Mary Sue and Siobhan Ball who announced that the Nimona movie is finally, and then it says in parentheses, almost here. But it is <laughs> it is much closer than you think because whenever I see these, I'm like, oh, is this like 2025 or something mm -hmm. like that? It is not. Um, it is actually coming out on Netflix in June. Let me make sure I'm not telling any lies. You're not. Uh, June 30th. Just loading. Okay, great. Yeah. My page is loading so slowly. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's so much going on here. But yeah, yes. so for fellow fans of Nimona, uh, which was, is a great graphic novel. And it was, I think, one of the graphic novels that really got me reading. Like, mm. especially standalone graphic novels. Um, because I just loved this story and it was written by N.D. Stevenson and, of course, illustrated as well. And it's just this unexpected, heartwarming story. We've talked about it on this show before. And I know a lot of you out there are probably very familiar with it, but it's about a uh, shapeshifter Nimona who teams up with a villain Ballister Blackheart 
And all sorts of unexpected things happen with the trope of a hero versus villain in the story. Mm -hmm. So in the adaptation, which, yes, is coming to Netflix, so we don't even, like, have to wait for it in the theaters or hopefully if you have Netflix, like, it's straight to your TV. And so it makes it really easy to watch. But the adaptation is going to be, it sounds like it's kind of close to the story, but you never know with adaptations. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like it is still like Nimona and um, Ballister team up for a reason and Ballister is being framed for something. And there are some really great uh, voice actors for this. I think yes. it's uh, Chloe Moritz. My uh, tab froze, so I'm trying to recall from memory. <laughs> it was it's Chloe, Chloe Grace Moritz as Nimona, yes. um, Riz Ahmed as Ballister, and Eugene Lee Yang as Ambrosius, which is oh, and RuPaul is also doing voices. Yes. Like there's a bunch of names that aren't attached to specific characters, but RuPaul is on the list. India Moore is on the list. Like it's gonna be fun. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. How about you? Yeah, I I am bummed a bit about the way they've chosen to draw Nimona for the movie because, you know, one of the things that I so loved about her in the comic is that she is like, she's real stocky. Like she is not a slender, tiny person. And they have sort of slenderized her for this movie, which is a bummer. They've also made some name changes that I'm like, what does it mean? I don't understand. I didn't get that either. Like why? Like they renamed Ballister from Blackheart to Boldheart. And I'm just kind of like, that's interesting. Like, are they like dialing down the villainy? Um, I don't know, but we'll see we'll see I like I there's no doubt I'm gonna watch it I like I was I was reading the webcomic back when it was like on Tumblr um I'm such a fan of the story generally and of Nimona specifically like talk about like a chaotic neutral character like I just love Nimona so much so I will watch it and I will cross my fingers and toes I will too I I I totally agree with you on the dip that you know how they changed Nimona Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there was a, I can't remember when this was previously acquired by somebody, yeah. but I, I kind of remember that there was something about that, but I could be making that up, but I hope it's good. I yeah. hope it lives up to the hype. Yeah. Um, real quick, just mm. because this is kind of a fun follow-up from yes. tour.com, uh, we were talking about uh, Amal El Motar last time, and how this is how you lose the time war by Motar and Max Gladstone blew up <laughs> on Twitter thanks to one tweeter whose whose very random post went viral and shot their book up to the bestseller list uh, years after it was published. And so, more good news for Amal El Motar. Uh, Tor has acquired four books mm-hmm. from the author, two novels, one novella, and one short story collection. So this is all on exclusive submission. It sounds like there's a lot of excitement and enthusiasm around these new books from El Motar. 
And the novella sounds, I like, I need to read it right mm-hmm. now. It's it's described as a fierce reworking of a 17th century murder ballad about sisters, willows, and swans, which is coming out fall 2024, and then the rest are coming afterwards. But I'm just really excited about this, and I just wanted to share some more good news Um as a follow-up to that previous story. So congrats. Yes. So excited about all of that. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to talk about our picks for books we recommend to our younger selves. But first, we're going to hear from another sponsor. So I really enjoyed the process of thinking about this, even though, as usual, it was challenging. Mm. And I'm sure there are a thousand other books, like there's a library I would send to my younger self. Yes, yes. But I think the books I chose really struck me as something that would have been helpful to me as a younger person. And the first one I want to talk about is my science fiction pick. And it's a book I've talked about, we've talked about a lot on this show. And it's A Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. And as a recap, um, I think a lot of you probably know about this book, but it's about a tea monk and a robot who find each other when the tea monk sets off on a journey of self-exploration. And one of the things I was thinking about when I was thinking about myself as a young person and a young reader specifically is that I did not read a lot of sci-fi as a younger person. I came to science fiction as, you know, probably in my late 20s, early 30s. So Mm. not even that long ago because I had a very specific image of what sci-fi was and about like what the sci-fi culture was like. And it was, to me, felt very exclusionary and like there was no access point for a person Mm. like myself. Mm. Um, So I kind of stayed away from it. And if I had had a book like this, it would have been that accessible entry point where I would realize that it wasn't all like, uh, you know, the classics of science fiction um, and all of those tropes. And it also has themes that really speak to who I was. I was and still am really environmentally focused, but particularly as a younger person, like me and my my friends, uh, my neighbor and my sister formed a club called the Nature Girls. And we were Stop. very, we were very like peace loving hippie style. We were like five years old, but this carried oh, on through like my teens. Um, so this is my new favorite fact about you <laughs> that I'm just learning as we record. This is an amazing story, Sharifa. I love this. We've painted uh my neighbor and best friend's dog house as our clubhouse oh. and put the name on it, and we never went in there because it was a dog house. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was so weird. Uh But when I was, you know, into the environment and really like wanting to make a better world, I had a really, I had a much sunnier outlook and a lot more hope (laughs) back then. And I think that just the utopian world of this book Mm. would have delighted me. Like the idea of living in harmony with nature as the people of Panga do. 
I would have loved that. Like, I'm sure I would have fantasized about living in that world and, mm-hmm. like, you know, being amongst the trees and nature. Um, but another big part of this book, I I was also struggling with sort of my own journey of self-discovery, especially in my teens and my early 20s. And back then, I think, especially in my teens, I had an expectation that finding purpose in life should be fairly straightforward. And I really wasn't prepared. <laughs> I know. So naive. <laughs> Sweet summer child. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, you have a passion for something and then that's it. You go for it and, you know, happy days. And that is not how it works. That is not how it worked for me. And I was not like as prepared perhaps as I should have been uh, for the struggle that comes with that work. So having Dex is kind of an example of what it, that struggle might look like, might have better prepared me and also shown me that it can be hard, but you can also learn a lot about yourself um, along the way. And you can take comfort and wisdom from the helpers in your life, especially in those dark moments when you feel like you failed or things are looking a little mm. hopeless. And then the last thing I thought about Like this book is the full package of like helpful advice for young me because the friendship between Mosscap and Dex is also just a great example of a healthy relationship built on mutual respect and care. Mm. It isn't one-sided where one person gives and gives and the other takes and takes. And (laughs) I think when I was younger, I didn't really investigate friendships and relationships or know how to set boundaries or anything like that. I didn't really have any good examples that explicitly set out to show you that, okay, this is how friendship should be. This is what caring looks like. This is what compromise looks like. Mm. And I think this book, and even like going into the next book especially, this is what uh, the book really shines at, um, especially with the friendship between Mosscap and Dex. And that's why I love this series so much. And I just think it would have been priceless. I'm sure I would have held on to this book forever if I had it in my teens. So yeah, that was A Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. Oh, such good reasons. I too was not in healthy friendships as a teenager. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a great, it's a great point. So, okay. So my story, I, I was just thinking about this and I was like, oh man, talk about like sweet summer child. So I, oh. you know, came of age in like the mid to late eighties, early nineties. I remember the, I remember before there was the internet and I remember the early internet and I was on like AOL message boards, like talking yeah. to people, making friends. And I, I literally don't know where I met these people in like which oh chat gosh. room or whatever, but I gave my home address <gasps> to more than one internet friend who then sent me boxes of books. And Jen. like the fact that nothing bad happened to me is some kind of miracle, quite frankly. I mean, truly, mm-hmm. it, I do not recommend, do not recommend and my parents were horrified when these like boxes of books showed up and they were like, who are these people who are sending you? I was like, they're my internet <laughs> friends. Oh my goodness. I just can't even think about this right now without like wow. breaking out into a cold sweat. But 
like that's what it felt like is like these were adults who genuinely were good people thank god and sent me the books that they felt like i needed to read most of which were genre fiction because that's the communities i was like hanging out i was in like you know the dragon writers of pern message boards or whatever of course because so, of course i was so um i think i talked about that on our first ever like teaser yeah, episode, episode zero well. yeah so so and like, you know, they sent me like Patricia McKillop and like all of these like kind of classic authors who I did love. And like my entryways into sci-fi and fantasy were like, you know, Tolkien, Ursula Le Guin, like all of these sort of classic mm. sci-fi authors. So that was most of what I had read as a teenager. And I also like I was a very sheltered kid, clearly, because I thought it was OK to give my address <laughs> out on the Internet. Um as a very sheltered kid, they regulate my parents regulated our TV and our reading like pretty aggressively. And I there was so much about the world that I had never been exposed to. And my most of my exposure to like politics and cultural politics in particular was the 70s. Like I became obsessed with the 70s as a teenager. I was like a little hippie. I know. It's so funny. Um, And like that was my whole understanding of like diversity, like culture, like inclusivity, like social justice, like all formed by the 70s, which obviously had some like glaring holes in it. And I like didn't there was so much I didn't understand. Like I think back to my teenage self and I was like, you poor baby. Like you didn't know anything. (laughs) And I went to college and I was just sort of it was a it was a learning experience. And I I like thankfully again people were very gentle with me, but like whoo. And so all of that is like a very long lead off to say that one of the books I would love to send back to my teenage self is Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki, because I just needed, first of all, I needed queer characters. I was not getting representation for those. And that would have been hugely helpful to me as a teenager trying to figure out who I was in the world. Um, I needed to see, you know, what it looked like to be a person of color in the world. Because again, like my media were all very whitewashed and did not really go into, you know, systemic or internalized racism and misogyny. Like there's so like homophobia, like none of those things were things that I had any language or understanding around. And the way that the characters in Light from Uncommon Stars exist in the world and like have to deal with those things and the like gentle compassionate way that Aoki holds those struggles would have been so important for me to see at that Mm. age. I really do think that that would have been like a game changer for me getting to a place of understanding much earlier in my life than I actually did. And it is exactly the kind of science fiction and fantasy that I loved that I was looking around for more of and having trouble finding that wasn't by like Terry Pratchett, you know, like it's got, you know, the aliens with the donut shop. It's got to deal with the devil. It's got music. It's got, you know, found family. Like it's got all of these things. It's funny. It's smart. It's like meaningful. It's a tearjerker, like all of that. I was looking for that and it was hard 
to find that it wasn't by, you know, Terry Pratchett. So I think it just would have, it would have blown my little mind in the best possible way. It would have made me feel seen in other ways. And like, it just really would have been a game changer for me. So I'm like getting a little choked up talking about it. Um, So I really, I do wish that I could go back and send like in a box to my teenage self. Like, first of all, don't give out your address on the internet. Second of all, read, (laughs) read this book. Um, So again, that's Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki. I love that pick for young you. Yeah. That is that book is such a nuanced, warm hug. I think yeah. it's good for a young person who is learning some things about the world. Mm-hmm. Well, my next pick, my fantasy pick, is a uh, a little bit more funzy because I well, it's funzy, but it also relates to some challenges I also had as a, a younger reader of fantasy in particular and it's children of blood and bone by tomi adiemi um and i also in this uh pick i want to give a shout out basically to all of the books by and about bipoc authors and characters that i didn't know about or have access Mm -hmm. to like i try not to take for granted how many great books we get from bipoc authors now because you know, back in the day, it was it felt so rare to even come across those books. And they really weren't in my face, at least uh, mm-hmm. when I went to the bookstore or the library. And so I was thinking about some of the books I've read and loved. And I thought about <laughs> one not great aspect of my reading style as a young person is that I really did not want to read books for younger readers because Mm. I thought myself an accelerated reader and I only wanted to read books for adults. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I will say that, you know, the YA category in general wasn't as it's it wasn't what it is today. No. Yeah, when we were growing up, um, which I, whenever I say that, I, I feel like a, an elder, but <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't really a thing. So I didn't really think about it also, but I was really into reading, you know, like epic fantasy specifically. And it's, you know, those big doorstopper books, mm-hmm. um, just like with a million books in the series and in all of with all of these books, they were like very much based in uh, Western concepts and Western inspired worlds. And the wonderful thing about Children of Blood and Bone, I mean, one of the wonderful things about it is that is it's inspired by the world is inspired by West Africa. And so you get this really rich amazing tapestry this great world building and it's like nothing I read as a younger person and I know I would have been like wow what is this like I have Mm. never come across anything like this world in any of the reading I've done and you know you don't learn a lot about the various regions of Africa in school in the U.S. (laughs) and so it would have been, and it's weird to say this, like totally foreign to me and totally new to me. And I think I just would have loved having this story in this epic fantasy uh, genre 
and it being completely refreshing and new. So I I just really thought that this book was one, very fun and very adventurous. I was always looking for an adventure. And then it also had its dark moments, which, I mean, this is a book for, it's YA fantasy, so it is geared toward younger readers. The, um, the, the violence in it is, it gets really dark, like, right from the beginning. But I do think I would have been, like, it, it took a lot to phase me as a young person. <laughs> I watched, like, a ton of horror movies and, like... I thought, like, my favorite movies were, like, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies back Whoa. then. I was I was okay with it. But I also didn't really understand, like, you know, you got, um, you got news and information distilled down to you about um, violent, like, racial mm-hmm. violence and things like that. But I don't think I really understood a lot about it. And in this book, there's, like, Sort it it has that it has that element to it, but it's very different. This is all set in Africa. These are all black characters, but there's still this like intense violence and oppression that happens, and it's this nuanced view of what oppression can look like and how it can look different in different places, and it can still be racially based and. So I think it would have introduced me to some concepts that it would take me a lot of years to get around to, similarly to your mm-hmm. story and, you know, life. And yeah, and also it's just, it features two young women. So the story is, you know, two young women are on the run from Orisha's deadly and oppressive ruler who's on a mission to squash any magic that's still running through the kingdom. And I know I would have like one wanted to be more daring like Zelly, the main character of the story is, but I would have seen some aspects of myself in Princess Amari. And these are two young black girls. Um, so having them to relate to would mm. have been kind of amazing. Again, didn't have that at all. And mm. Yeah, I also probably would have been more likely to finish the series back then because I actually (laughs) read a lot of series and finished them in those days. (laughs) So, yeah, it's – I just, like – I think this would have been great for younger me just to have, you know, people, characters who look like me – Going on adventures and, you know, fighting back against oppression and doing cool and amazing things. And then also learning about, you know, mythology and lore from a non-Western world, like Mm. West African religions. Knew nothing about them back then. And I would have been obsessed, I know. Yes. Um, So, yeah, again, that was Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. Ugh, I just like wish we had a time machine to go back and right, you know, <laughs> help our younger selves out with reading, if nothing else. <laughs> I know, <laughs> like it feels right. Exactly, it feels to me actually the the least meddlesome. Like obviously, we've seen all kinds of time travel conundrums where you try to go back and fix something, but I feel yeah. like books in the mail is like the least intrusive, least potentially disastrous. Way yeah. to like, like what could happen? What could happen? Right? Like <laughs> what what badness could possibly happen? 
We're going to see a book come out with this premise <laughs> and it's going to like spell out all of the disasters. That I will read from. that book though. Somebody write I it for do. us. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So my second pick is for my college self who, so I like as a teenager was, I, you know, as a younger, like young reader through teenagerdom was hard into sci-fi and fantasy. Like, you know, yeah. all those authors I've talked about, like this was what I read. My dad was like, you should read Jane Austen. And I was like, there are no dragons in Jane Austen. <laughs> like, and of course, now I love Austen. I'm obsessed with Austen. But at that time in my life, I was like, that looks boring. Where are the dragons? So, you know, and then I got to college and I was like, oh, sci-fi and fantasy are for children's like therefore mm. like you know there i'm gonna like learn i'm gonna learn about literature capital l and like i'm gonna read serious books and i really stopped reading genre fiction for basically my entire college career and i don't know if i've told this story before i remember so i graduated from college and i was trying to find a job and i was i went to the local bookstore which did eventually hire me but it took me a while to talk them into it <laughs> and I was looking around and I was like, I should buy something like and I had like no money because, you know, college graduate of without course. a job. But I was like checking out the used book section and there was a used copy of Never Ending Story. And I like stood there for 10 minutes to work up the nerve to buy it because I was like, oh, oh that would be fun. But I was like, they're going to judge me at the checkout oh, counter. Like, no. here's this like 20 something person buying a copy of Never Ending Story. Like, that's for kids. Like, that's not for serious reader people <laughs> I don't I really don't know exactly the origin of this I mean I can guess right like this is not unusual oh, messaging yeah. to have received but I took it really to heart like I really internalized it for a long time and so the book I wish I could send back to my college self who like didn't think genre fiction was serious literature is Vanished Birds by Simon Jimenez. It's the first um it's his first book he's now on you know award lists for uh the spear cuts through water, but, um, vanished birds. I, oh my gosh, this book, y'all, it is such an incredible piece of writing. It's an incredible piece of narrative. Like the way that it juggles the different POVs is incredible. Um, the story itself is like mind blowing. I mean, I just, I would have defied my college self to pick this up and read it and not be like, Oh, this is this is literature like this is literature mm -hmm. it is and it's just so smart and it uses so many of the tropes that I loved as a teenager um, to great effect you know you have a captain of a spaceship who is constantly traveling at, at the speed of light and so her timeline is disconnected from the people that she meets on her various planet hopping travels so like she you know, doesn't age at the same rate as some of these other people, which again is like a trope in sci-fi that I loved mm -hmm. as a teenager. And then there's this child who appears out of nowhere um, and nobody quite knows what to do with who turns out to have a very important role. Um, and then there's this other woman who is like a scientist who's lived for a very long time, discovered, you know, ways to do that and who is trying to figure out like how to fix the mistakes of her past. Um, and again, there's found family, there's action, there's adventure, there's really thoughtful philosophical questions about what all of these things mean 
to be a human in when this is your, you know, when this is the water you're swimming through, when this is what life is like, like, how do you cope with these challenges and these mistakes and these realities of your existence? Um, the language is beautiful. I mean, it's just such a good book. Jimenez is such an excellent writer. And I really do think that it would have changed the trajectory of my reading and gotten me, you know, out of that sort of snobby anti-genre place a lot faster, which could have been awesome for me. <laughs> I mean, I got there eventually, but this would have accelerated the process. I feel confident. Uh, and this is the book that I recommend to people who are like, who love, you know, literary fiction and who are like, but is genre fiction really for me? And this is one of the books that I go to for those people now. It's like, oh, it is. And here's here's a book that you are not going to be able to put down. You're going to love it. It's amazing. Uh, so again, that's The Vanished Birds by Simon Jimenez. I'm so glad you came back to genre fiction for some reason. Right? Many Can you imagine? I can't. <laughs> like, who would I be? Who, literally, I who would I be? I don't know. I, I, I cannot wrap my brain around it. No, right? True. Different person. <laughs> Different person. <laughs> well, that was wonderful. And I feel like my heart is warmed for our younger yeah. selves. And. I'm glad we got through it all. <laughs> Being young is not easy. It is not. Yeah. And thank you all for listening to us talk about our youth. Uh, SFF Yeah is sound edited by Caitlin Brame. Many thanks to her, as always, for making us sound great each and every episode. You can find more recommendations at bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you again so much for listening. You can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com if you have any ideas for episodes you'd like to hear, themes, topics, whatever, let us know. And if you have a moment, please review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. It really helps people find us. And in the meantime, you can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen? I am on Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And I'm back on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And I'm on Instagram at S-Sign of Williams. That's S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.